HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty awesome day to be sitting around sipping on mezcal. And my uh, my first experience with mezcal, one of my first experiences with mezcal was about 12 years ago. It was an entire summer drinking scorpion mezcal. If you're not familiar with scorpion mezcal, it's a mezcal that actually has exoskeleton of a scorpion in it. Um, and we somehow found this uh, emerald pearl handled switchblade that had a scorpion and laid into the, the handle. And uh, so it turns out that every party we had, whoever ended up taking the fir- the last swig of this bottle of mezcal scorpion, had to eat the scorpion off the blade of this switchblade. Uh, and times have really changed since then. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, I've had more experience, probably not any uh, any better experience than uh, sitting around sipping on Del Mague mezcal, which we're going to talk about today. And I'm so happy to have in the studio. An awesome, awesome person, Misty Kalkofen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. Um, There are like 10 bottles of mezcal here in the studio. And I don't know if I can actually go through all of them today. Maybe Jack will jump in at some point. Um, But uh, I will try. (laughs) So yeah, you started working with Delmega about like just over a year ago or so, right? It's almost two years now. It'll be two years in April. But you know, I, I, I... kind of planted the seed to work with Del Miguel three years before that when um after 20 years of bartending my body was slowly <laughs> falling apart oh, yeah, I agree. you know um and getting to the end of my shift would bring tears a lot of times you know um as my my wrists were slowly you know just going to shit <laughs> <laughs> um and so I I went to Ron and said I don't have a poker face, so if I was going to jump to the supplier side, I needed to be working for some a brand that I really believed in from start to finish, yeah. and 
um, his was one of the few that I really believed in everything that was happening. So I said, you know, Ron, I know that you're not there yet, but I know your brand is growing. And when you're ready, I really hope you'll come to me and talk to me. And so for three years, about every six months, he would call me and just check in and say, Misty, I haven't forgotten about our conversation. Um, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But, you know, I, I, I haven't forgotten. And then almost three years to the day, he hired me for the position. So <laughs> it was a long time coming. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I, I, I hear it. It's, it's really hard. You know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of times, you know, the best brand ambassadors are clearly bartenders, mm-hmm. of course, because we do it naturally, you know, uh, at the bar. We're, we're, we're multi-brand ambassadors, exactly, really. Exactly, exactly. But it's great to find a brand that you're just really like 110% behind, you know. And so it, it's really organic that way, you know. Yeah, and I, I think, it, unfortunately, it can be challenging to really know the nuts and bolts of every single brand, you know. Mm-hmm. People, uh, there's not the transparency that I would like to see in the spirits industry. I'd really like to know exactly what's in that bottle and how it's made and how are the people treated who help to produce it and all of those things. And it's... It's really challenging. So when you find a brand that's willing to open up their doors and literally show you everything from start to finish, introduce you to all the people that are involved, really says something about uh, not just the quality usually of the product itself, because that comes from a sense of pride that people mm-hmm. are willing to do that, um, but also kind of the generosity and the caretaking that is is part of kind of the ethos of the company usually. Um, and it's it's really refreshing when you find brands like that. Yeah. You know, like the first time I ever met Ron, I was working at, at Linnell's down in Red Hook. Yeah. Um, and he came in and did a taste. Man, I bet I met you there. I think many, that's where we met. I think so, Because it was, it, I, I know you worked at Drink, and I was on tour with my band one time, and ran into you at uh, Brick and Mortar. Yeah. But that was after we met. Yeah. Like, a while after. I think that's where but we I met I think that's probably time. where we Sorry, met. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, it's okay. That's, <laughs> that's where I met most people. <laughs> um, yeah, like, uh, it, it, it was such a cool experience, like. He's like this tiny little pirate guy, you know. <laughs> He's like this mezcal pirate guy, and uh, he was like then he. I think the line was only three or four bottles. Yeah. This is a long time. This is like it was probably eight, the eight original four villages. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, and um, I remember trying Chichicapa for the first time, just being like, "Whoa, okay." So it's, like I for like I, you know my first mezcal before the scorpion one was you know Monte Alban so it's a huge difference. It's <laughs> a huge difference. It's a huge difference. I'm not gonna say yeah, anything yeah. bad about other brands, well, but it, there is a huge difference. And I think you know a lot of people for them you know it, Del Miguel was their aha moment. I mean I'll never forget the first time I met Ron. Right. He was relaunching in Massachusetts and he went to Leo DeGroff and said, Leo, I'm going to Boston. Who's going to understand this? Who's going to get it? And he was like, go see Misty at Green Street. And so he rolled in on a Friday night, thankfully a slow Friday night, <laughs> and um, sat down at one of the bar tables and took care of the bar tables as well. And I went to the table. He was with a friend and they ordered um, two tequila cocktails. And that was before there was any agave resurgence or renaissance taking place in, in the States at all. So it was even just ordering two tequila cocktails. We didn't have that happen very often. Yeah. And then he was watching everything I was doing. I'm like, who is this guy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then when seats opened up at the bar, he came over and started pulling the baskets and the bottles out and talking to me about each one of them and, and tasting me on them. And I had really never tasted anything like it in my life. Um, but then also... 
he was talking to me very specifically about the families who produced it and the ritualistic ways in which they would use it for celebrations and, Mm -hmm. you know, having gone to Harvard Divinity School and being, you know, having that spiritual aspect um, to the product really resonated with me. And, you know, we were fast friends. He came back to Boston a week later and we went out to dinner and spent two hours eating oysters and just talking about ritual and mezcal in Mexico. And it was really cool, you know, and so... For me, it was there were many levels to my aha moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a lot of people, tasting that and having it be so different from any, this, this, you know, erroneous perception of what of what mezcal actually is, yeah. you know, um, it, it, he really was a trailblazer in that way, you know. You know, I think that's like one of the things that really, besides like I mean, besides the actual juice in the bottle, you know. Um, I, you know, we actually talked about this at one point on a very late night, I think. But uh, I also was like priming, to, and priming up to go to seminary. So I think, like, <laughs> and like Lacey Hawkins also. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a, a bunch of us in the, mm-hmm. in the industry. But that's that's kind of you know that's shooting off too much there. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but I really I really also appreciate. Like one of the things when I got into bartending and just like into like cocktails and spirits and 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 food in general, like I I also like I, we all love the ritual of it, you know. Yeah. And you know, it's also fun to have like unique like bar tools for certain things and like kitchen tools and like especially like servingware. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like and I was like, what the hell are these little terracotta like dishes, you know? Because <laughs> I had never like you know that when when I met Ron, he came into the shop and like tasted this on the four villages. I was like, dude, this is all new and like, and it kind of like to me like this is kind of off, also a weird thing to say, but like with mezcal, it's there's like an intensity of mezcal and like a richness and deepness of flavors that. It's kind of like similar to like you know like Isla Scotch or like like funky Jamaican rums mm-hmm. you know it's just like that intense like that that straight like something that like was so foreign to us you know to us like you know I mean it's been a tradition for a long time but well, there's, you're, you're there's starting a of, with a plant that can take anywhere from seven to thirty or forty years to reach to, maturity yeah. before you can harvest it and even begin the process of making mezcal. And I, I often think I wish I wish I could, you know, cut the plant and see like the rings on a, yeah, on, yeah. on a tree, you know, to know what this particular plant went through in the years that it was pulling energy out of the soil yeah. and from its environment and everything, um, and that complexity, you know, it's it's such an agricultural product, and that makes it so different from the other things that are happening, you know, the other spirits that that we imbibe in, you yeah. know. Um, but I, it's one of, definitely for me one of the things that makes it so special. And also from the human aspect, you have people that are willing to to care for this plant and watch over it. For, it. Yeah. You know, for you know, most of the producers are also the farmers of the plants. You know, in most yeah. situations when you're talking artisanal mezcal, and you know, they're willing to care for something for so many years before they go into that process of actually making the spirit. It's it's the actual like personal relationship and the care that you know. Yeah. It's knowing that like in you know, 98, there was a drought, you know, and that, you know, yeah, a certain part of the agave fields, it's like, you know, they kind of affected because of the slope on the land and like, just mm-hmm. like having that personal touch, just like decades before you even make the yeah. product. It's crazy. 
Well, and I, I think you know, we talk about terroir with mezcal frequently. It's one of the few spirits where you can use that word. The language of yeah. mezcal is very much the language of wine. And I think, you know, we constantly think about the biological aspects of terroir, but frequently for, we forget to think about the human aspects of terroir. And, you know, each village has their own kind of style and tradition of making mezcal, and every family within that village has a style and tradition yeah. of making mezcal. And so people ask me all the time, which, which is your favorite mezcal? And I'm like, I can't pick, because I've met all of the people who make this. I can't separate my feelings about the families <laughs> from what's actually in the bottle, because you know the bottle represents delicious juice, obviously, that I love to drink, but behind that is a, is a family that takes so much pride and care into what actually goes into it. And yeah. it's not just the family that's here now it's the generations that came before that have taken the care to hold on to that knowledge and pass it down so that it's understood and, and kept for generations to come yeah i think I that's that. really special I, yeah that's it's so awesome and you know going back to even like the first time i met ron you know, i was just kind of like just transfixed by by him talking about this yes. and, and you know like David in, in Philadelphia like all the, the 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 idea of like the tequila interchange program mm. you know like there's there's I, I love that and me being from a farm you know like I, I think about this all the time you know and I, it's really it's kind of nerve wracking to think that like there's not enough support and, like there's not enough like care given back to the farm and like it's now you're starting to see that we're like oh man wait a minute this is how you get good stuff, you know, like, so let's just be supportive of that. You know, I I think, you know, uh, the category of mezcal, even though it's older than the category of tequila, but the resurgence of popularity and especially here in the States, um, um, has kind of given us the opportunity to look at what has happened in the world of tequila. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I talk critically about tequila because I love it as much as I love mezcal, um, but I'm just concerned about the direction that it's going. And so unless you talk about it critically and look at the things that need to change, then y- you run the risk of something going by the wayside, yeah. you know. Um, but because tequila kind of had that 20-year lead on us, we're able to look at it and be like, no, we actually need to be very thoughtful and careful about what we're doing. And we need to take care of the people who hold this tradition, you know, and the knowledge of this tradition. Um, yeah. And so... It's for me. It's something that I talk about frequently. I'm like, let's look at what's happening and make sure we don't follow suit. You know, yeah, I hear you. I feel the same way about food, like with restaurants and bars. You know, yeah. it's like restaurants had a 20, 25 year lead on us. You know, yeah. And so, but it could go wrong really easily too. So, like, we got to be cautious of like what we're doing with the bars. Definitely. You know? And but, I mean, you know, you mentioned David Zero, and yeah, I mean, he's amazing about what he's trying to do. Um, having started the Tequila Interchange Project, but also within his own um, products that, you know, at Siembra Azul, he, he sees that there is a future for tequila, but only if we go in, a, in the proper direction, if we start making the right decisions right now. Because if we wait even just a little bit, it could be too late. Um, and so that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're, we should just dive in a, a little bit of uh, some mezcal here. Oh, and, yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll be right back in a moment with Misty Calcofin of Del Mege Mezcal. <laughs> Today's program was brought to you by Rolling Press. 
Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Posting after the jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. And in the studio today, we are sipping on some mezcal with Misty Calcofin mm-hmm. of Del Maggie Mezcals. Now, Del Maggie is not a producer. It's more of a sourcing uh, tool for like getting these different villages and for families out there and helping them get their their product out into the world correct exactly we work with seven different families and seven different villages throughout oaxaca and then um ron uh cooper purchases the mezcal from them and brings it in under the label of tell me gay um and so you know they they all have the say of what's going on with yeah, their particular that's great brand, their I, I, I love that so much it's really just like championing these different families and farmers you know yeah it's it's great and also i think um you know people it because of the way that he's done it starting with four villages that were all making mezcal using espadine all using similar processes to have those four villages tasting so differently it brings to light just how beautiful and diverse the category is Um, because I think I'm sure that you've had the experience where people come in and they're like I tried mezcal it's terrible I don't like that at all it tastes like tires uh, yeah um, (laughs) and so to have the opportunity to say give me five minutes talk to me about the things that you really enjoy and I bet I can find a mezcal that even if you don't love it, you're going to appreciate and it's going to change your perception of what this category is. Um, because when we have everything in the States of any of our producers are making, I think it's like 14 different facings at this point yeah. in time. And there are no two that are alike in any way whatsoever. Yeah. They're all remarkably different from one another. It's like going back, like, like we're saying in the first half of the show about rum. It's like you can't just say, like when I always like when you like read like an old cocktail book from like the late 1800s and it just says rum. You're like, what? <laughs> what kind that, of rum? <laughs> dude, they are crazily different. But yeah. um, uh, yeah, I mean like, then a lot of these are just, are like all of them, they're just so, they're so unique. You know, the first, I guess the first ones I tried were Chichicapa, Tobola, Monero, and um, I want to say it was the... Sin- Santo Domingo maybe? Or Santo San Domingo, Luis. yeah. It was the Santo Domingo, yeah. yeah. 
And then I think, like, right as I was tasting those, then the uh, the crema came out. Uh-huh. And then, then it, like, it just kind of grew and grew. But yeah. then, like, there's the pachuga, which is crazy to even think <laughs> of. Can you... Can you just tell us about the like for the for the listeners? Can you just tell them about the the process of making this, and then, of course, follow up with the iberica. Okay. What? <laughs> um, so pachuga, the style of pachuga is something that you find throughout Mexico. It's like, um, although there is a denomination of origin for mezcal that only encompasses eight states, people truly make mezcal in about twenty six of the thirty one states of Mexico. So you'll find the style of pachuga all throughout Mexico, and it's it's a style that um, celebrates the harvest. Um, and so what you do is you take mezcal. In our case, we use uh, we produce our pachuga and our iberico in Santa. Catarina Minas, where we make our Monero. Um, and so they take the Monero, which has already been distilled twice, and it's a base of espadine, it's the plant. And they put it back into the stills. Um, uh, but they add to the still uh, wild growing mountain fruits um, like plums and plantains. Uh, we also add um, almonds. Uh, we add a bag of rice, and in that bag of rice is. Um, uh, canela, the Mexican uh-huh. beautiful cinnamon that yeah. has like some really so beautiful like apple and pear notes to it and everything. So canela and also some star anise. And then uh, in Santa Catarina Minas, they they use a uh, clay still. So the the style of the clay still almost looks like a double boiler, if you will. Cool. Um, and so hanging in the atmosphere of the still, they hang. Um, a chicken breast, a raw chicken breast. That's the name pachuga, which means breast. Um, and so as the distillate is recondensing, it recondenses over that chicken breast before it goes through the output, through the carizo. Um, it's so witchy. It's like <laughs> voodoo shit, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> I love it. And so they usually make it right um, right around Dia de los Muertos um, mm-hmm. because that's the end of the rainy, rainy season. So that's when all the fruits are actually ripe and ready to be harvested. Um, and then our producer will take the chicken breast and take it to the family altar as an as offering so that the next harvest is healthy as well um uh but you'll see you know we use chicken breast uh but you'll see everything from i've seen deer before i have one from michoacan that has iguana in it or res (laughs) like the beef cheek and um and so it's it's a a tradition and style that you see throughout mexico and each family kind of has their own foods that they and their own mash bill, if you will (laughs) so then uh a couple years ago, um, Chef Jose Andres was down um, with Ron with some of his chefs uh, from Think Food Group uh, right around Dia de los Muertos and so they were in Santa Catarina Minas when Luis Carlos was opening the still and and they were very inspired by it and so they sent Ron a leg of Iberico ham with a note that said I want you to make mezcal out of this and so thus the Iberico was born. And, That's crazy. That's know. the most baller thing ever. <laughs> well and it's really cool because it, you know if you just taste one pachuga on its own you don't necessarily know what it's hard to pick out what does the chicken actually do in the distillation process but now to have two distillates that incorporate some sort of protein in one case the chicken breast in one case the iberico ham but everything else is exactly the same they're using the same fruits they're using the same spices and then you taste them side by side you're like wow the iberico is so savory and there's like almost a sense of umami you know and in comparison to the pachuga where the fruit and the spices shine through a little bit more it's, um, it's a little bit like brighter on that on that side on the fruit yeah. side, you know. And it's cool because I think uh, you know from year to year it changes because if you in 2010 we had a, a like the worst rainy season that had happened in 40 years in Oaxaca, and so all the fruits were 
on the vine longer, you know, and yeah. we're almost overripe. So that year, the pachuga is, is, is very fruity in comparison to drier years when the spices will shine through a little bit more. So it's really fun to take different years of pachuga and taste them side by side and see kind of how they've changed, you know. Sounds like a terrible tasting idea. <laughs> Just a, a flight of different pachuga oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Your job is hard. <laughs> I feel for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, they, uh, you know, Steve Olson was the, the first one to, like, turn me on to, like, the Pachuga. And, of course, like, me. He, he, Steve Olson is responsible for a lot of us falling yeah, in yeah. love with Agave. <laughs> yeah. um, what a great educator and what a great resource for our community. But, yeah, I mean, like, I yeah, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, he, uh, I just remember him, like, telling me for the first time about Pachuga. And I was like. I've never called bullshit on anyone harder than I did that day. I was like, get out of here! <laughs> well, it's amazing. I mean, I, I would I say, it. you know, it's a crazy process. Th- there's nothing like actually being in Oaxaca and seeing how these particular products are made. Um, but there's really nothing in the world like being in Santa Catarina Minas on the days that they're distilling um, the pachuga and they open up the still and the fruit comes out of the still and they offer it to you as part of your lunch and they crack open that bag of rice and that's part of your lunch as well. That's awesome. And, you know, you get to taste all of the fruits that went into it. It's There's nothing like it, you know. I've, I, I feel fortunate that I've been able to travel around the world and see how different spirits are produced, but there is a nothing like what happens in Oaxaca with our mezcal producers. That's crazy. Yeah. I... I, I, I I've only been to like the really touristy parts of Mexico. <laughs> we I, should fix that. We should fix that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and it's great because there you can find delicious mezcal throughout Mexico now. And it, it, for a long time, mezcal was really seen as a peasant drink, you know, and really kind of poo pooed by a lot of people. And now, you know, you can go to Mexico City and there are great mezcalerias and and there's an appreciation um, among the younger kids who are are taking a closer look at food and at coffee and at craft beer and all of these yeah. things. And recognizing this amazing tradition that they have in their own backyard that their parents didn't have any respect for, and they're changing that. And so yeah. it's really cool to see. I love that, you know, it, and especially, you know, like you said, it was like, you know, most of the things that we like nowadays were considered peasant food at one point, yeah. you know, like cured meats and cheeses mm-hmm. and breads and like just basically preserved foods in general, you know, yeah. like anything like that. We, it used to be peasant food. Now it's like, you know, it's like an Iberico ham, for yeah. instance, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, you consider, like, maybe it was peasant food at one point in time, and but those are some of the most ingenious people. I know. <laughs> when they, you don't have a lot and you have to make they started the most Mensa. of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, I think the respect for that is extremely important. Oh, yeah. Well, also, like, the respect for the heritage of that, like, the heritage and the ingenuity of that. Yes. And like in preservation, yeah, and and also, like you were saying, a lot of the younger people in the families uh, are starting to like really understand like how great it is, how responsible it is, yeah. you know, and how how cool it can be. Well, I think about the first time I went to Mexico City was in like 2010 or something like that, and 
I, when I would say that I had been to Oaxaca and that I loved mezcal, the reaction from people was like, ooh, what? Mezcal? That's, <laughs> why would you drink that? Everybody was drinking brandy and rum. They weren't even drinking tequila, you know? Yeah. Um, and now just the difference that's taken place in those four years is kind of amazing to me. It's yeah. truly amazing to me. And I, I love to see it. I think it's great. It's so funny. You know, like, there, it's you always kind of like try to, you know, there's an old saying where it's like you spend the first half of your life trying to get away from where you're from and the second half trying to get back there. That's kind of <laughs> so what you true. just reminded me of. Well, I, I also, I, I mean, if when you get, if you want to get super nerdy, I'm a gigantic nerd. So if you think about the history of agave in, in Mesoamerica, it's been a primary food source for people for almost 10,000 years. You know, there are caves just outside of Mexico City that they have the remains of masticated agave. Because when you were talking about a, a, when you had a, the hunter-gatherer societies, all you needed to do to have something that was extremely nutritious, cooked agave, was to start a fire in a pit. And there's over 200 different varieties of agave throughout Mesoamerica. So you could take, roast that agave, make cakes out of it, train take those with you as you're moving to the next spot to hunt and just add a little bit of water and that nutrition was still there. And so it's, it's been survival. Agave has been the survival of the people of Mexico for thousands of years. And so it deserves a lot of respect, you know, for in, as a food source and also as a, obviously a delicious beverage. Absolutely. <laughs> and it looks really cool too. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a cool plant. <laughs> Whoever invented that, man, God bless them. Um, <laughs> I wish I could take credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you know, like growing up in like Oklahoma and Texas, there there are agave plants in like people's yards, like everywhere. Yeah. And so, especially like in Austin, like we drive around, like there's just agave growing in everyone's yards, and I'm like, you know, I look at it and I'm like, oh my god, it's a really pretty. It's a it's a very beautiful plant. That I could make something out of that we yeah, could Yeah, yeah. And, and useful in so many ways. Yeah. You know, like Steve Olson always says, if you had agave, you could survive. You know, you could build your house. You could create clothes. You could make clothes for yourself from, from the fibers, you know. And it's just, it's truly amazing. It's, yeah. you know, the miracle plant. <laughs> well... On that note, I I feel like it's a miracle that you uh, actually came into the studio. It's been a while that I've been trying to get you in here, and I know I've been like bugging you, but uh, I hope you had a good time today, and no, I, I definitely of- have. And this is uh, it's it's always great to have someone like yourself like come on the show and teach me as long as that, as far as uh, as far as that goes, like. You know, when I, I feel like I know it all sometimes, <laughs> but especially for all our listeners, you know, for Heritage Radio, I really appreciate you coming in. And uh, I know Jack really appreciates you coming in because he's about to have some mezcal. So <laughs> that always makes him happy. And, uh, and get him primed up for our uh, our Heritage Radio uh, Christmas party this evening. So uh, get him going. <laughs> what, well, it was my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, I can't wait to have you back around. And uh, hopefully uh, one of these days we'll take a trip down to Oaxaca together. Yeah. I'm on it. Awesome. <laughs> what, oh, let's give the uh, what's the website for Tell My Gay? Tellmygay.com. That sounds perfect. Yeah. All right, check out Tell My Gay. It's now becoming you know like way more available, so you can find it in all the greatest bars and uh, have a flight of uh, mezcal with uh, Misty next time you see her. 
Yes, please. (laughs) All right. That's it for the Speakeasy this week. Tune in to Heritage Radio Network for many other programs like this. Have a good week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.